Well, hi there and welcome. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. You are listening to Naturally Recovering Autism and I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today's show is going to be on sensory processing disorders. And we have a very special guest with us once again, who is going to be able to give you a a good, strong sense of exactly what that means and what you can do for your child with autism and for other children who you might have other children who maybe aren't diagnosed with autism, but they actually have things like ADHD, ADD, they, or you just notice that they'll have some of the many symptoms that we'll be discussing in this episode. Uh, and as usual, so you know that uh, any links that we discuss in the show, you can uh, to this episode, you can be fa- can be found at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory. It's S E N S O R Y. And um, that's just for ease because uh, there may be multiple links. And if you're driving or if you're listening to this show while you're on your morning walk, you might not have a pen handy and you want to know where you can find these later on. So that's where they'll be. I'm going to give a little introduction to Lindsay Beal, who is with us today. Lindsay Beal is a pediatric occupational therapist with a private practice in New York City, where she evaluates and treats children, adolescents, and young adults with sensory processing issues, developmental delays, autism spectrum disorders, and other challenges. She is co-author of the award-winning Raising a Sensory Smart Child, the definitive handbook for helping your child with sensory processing issues with a forward by Temple Grandin. She's also the author of Sensory Processing Challenges, Effective Clinical Work with Kids and Teens, as well as the Sensory Processing Masterclass DVD. Her website is sensorysmarts.com and sensoryprocessingchallenges.com for downloadable checklists, articles, webcasts, and much more. And again, all of those links will be able to be found at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here with us today. We greatly appreciate your, your help, your time, and your expertise. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. And you have a a new updated version. Uh, Is that correct that Raising a Sensory Smart Child, the definitive handbook, is is this updated or is it a brand new book? The book, it's an updated, it's a revised, um, expanded, updated edition. The book first came out way back in 2005 and over the years, uh, there have been a lot of changes and a lot of new information, uh, new research, and new ideas. So it's a brand new revised and expanded edition. Just came out this week. Awesome. Yeah, I know as, as an author, it's it's hard to keep up. Like there's, you've got all this great information in your book and then your research continues and new new research is done and uh, and you have new information and then, you know, trying to keep up with, you know, making sure that everything stays updated. So it's great. This is all the, the current information. So for our listeners who might be newer to under, an understanding of sensory processing disorders, could you kind of start with the basics, like give them a better understanding of what they are and of course we're going to be going into to strategies um, I also notice in your book and it's great that uh, you mentioned that there are actually eight senses not the five that we're used to so uh, I think it'd be great if you could kind of talk about that a little bit too okay sure so um, let's start with what sensory processing actually is um, All of us first learn about the world through our senses. We see things, we hear things, we touch things, we move against gravity, and so on. 
So sensory processing is how we transform these little bits of information about the world and our own bodies into meaningful messages that tell us what's going on around us and what we should be doing in response. So due to differences in wiring in uh, bodily systems such as the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, some people um, experience the world in a different way. So um, they don't always get accurate information about what's going on, and so they don't always know what to do about it. So let's talk about some of these different senses. Now, we've all heard about the five, we all know the five basic senses, those being uh, touch, the touch sense, or the tactile sense, but it's even more complex than just whether or not something is touching you on your body. Um, when we think about the tactile sense, there's a difference between light touch and deep pressure touch. So light touch is when you very lightly touch your skin, the surface of your skin. And that activates uh, what we call protective responses. So it's, it's, a, it's a very ancient, primitive sense that alerts us to danger. So a lot of our kids and teens and adults with sensory issues, most particularly those on the autism spectrum, um, have a lot of problems with light touch. They're very sensitive to light touch. So that putting on a shirt can become a, a problematic, scary thing for them because it's triggering those light touch responses. Being just gently and innocuously bumped by another child online at school can generate a really intense behavioral response where the child may say like, oh, he hit me, he hurt me, it hurt. And you're watching what's going on and you're like, uh, okay, nothing really happened there. Uh, we got like a drama queen over here or, um, you know, a behavior problem. So that's light touch. Deep pressure is when you get into the deeper layers of the skin and that's very calming and alerting. So that's just the tactile sense. The auditory sense, we all think we know. Do you hear something or not? It's a little bit more complicated than that. Some people are sensitive to volume. Some people are sensitive to frequency of sound. And some people, especially those on the autism spectrum, are exquisitely sensitive to sound. Most of us start to hear at zero to 15 decibels of sound. Some people with auditory hypersensitivity can hear at negative 15 decibels of sound. That's a lot of sound coming into their system. And when you're hearing all of that noise, it becomes very stimulating and very difficult to figure out what's important for me to listen to. I'd like to listen to my teacher. I'd like to follow what's going on, but my system is flooded with noise and it becomes very difficult to actually listen. So that's the auditory system. The uh, visual system, it's not just whether or not we see. We see with our eyeballs. We understand what we see with our brains and a lot of um, 
people with sensory issues, particularly those on the autism spectrum, have difficulty with that. So they uh, may be very sensitive to patterns, to colors, to fluorescent light that they can see and hear. So it's very disturbing for them. Um, And it's not just people with autism. It's uh, neurotypically developing people, such as myself. I can't stand fluorescent lighting. So um, uh, when there's a lot going on visually, that can be very overstimulating. There was a 2013 study that found that um, kids on the autism spectrum could detect movement twice as quickly as their neurotypically developing peers. So what does that mean functionally? That means that they're looking, they're detecting a lot of interesting things visually, but they're also going to be easily overstimulated as well. Um, When I speak, my lips are moving, my eyebrows are moving, uh, my head is moving, my hands are moving. There's a lot of movement for a person to process, one of my clients to process. So oftentimes what will happen is that the child will break eye contact. They turn off their vision in order to listen better. A lot of our kids with sensory issues do this mono-channel processing thing where they're tuning in primarily with one sensory system at a time. And that may sound strange to us, but when you think about it, if you are driving down the highway and you're listening to your favorite music and you're singing along, you probably look kind of foolish to people driving past you, um, but you're driving along and you see flashing lights up ahead, you're going to do two things you're going to get ready to hit the brakes and you're going to either seriously turn down the music or turn it off altogether. You're turning off your hearing in order to see better. This totally makes sense. I am sure that there are uh, so many parents right now who are looking at this thinking that's my child or that's me. And um, we need to take a short break right here. But uh, after we come back from the break, we'll, we'll definitely have you have you finish with that because I'm sure there are a lot of parents wondering, okay, so now it's making sense to me what's going on for my child. And we'll get, get a little further into that for them, things to look for. So, and, and also how to find out if your child has anything particular and then of course, strategies and what you can do for them. So this is naturally recovering autism and I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from bold, brave media, tune in radio and iHeartRadio. radio. Stay with Well, hi there, and welcome back. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and I am your host, Karen Thomas. And today we are talking about sensory processing disorders, and we have uh, and sensory processing expert Lindsay Beal with us. And before the break, we were talking about sensory systems, and uh, and I I think it's great, Lindsay, if you can kind of continue with where you were, because there are a lot of parents that will find themselves looking at their child and thinking, well, they could look at me if they wanted to, or they could do this if they wanted to. They just don't want to. And they try to force them to do things. And um, and it's important that parents know really when to not push a child and when it, you know, what's going on. So you were on the sensory system. So why don't we continue with those? Sure, sure. And, and you're right. I mean, parents, every parent is always wondering, like, how much do I push my 
child forward and how much do I protect them? And when it comes to something like making eye contact, we were talking about mono-channel processing and a child may avoid eye contact at certain times. Um, eye contact is an important social skill. We all make fleeting eye contact, not constant eye contact, right? Um, but we make fleeting eye contact and that's an important social skill. We sort of zoom in and zoom out um, to force your child. It's, it's, it's a frequent goal that my child will make eye contact for five minutes during a conversation, something like that. And it may be that the child really can't be available to listen and process what is being said or what is happening if they are also forced to make eye contact. That's one of the reasons why I like that study that I mentioned that says that kids see movement twice as quickly. And that's sort of like a, a scientific underpinning for why they become so overstimulated by eye contact. So just keep in mind that, that as you dance that dance of how much do I push forward and how much do I protect, that it's okay to not demand eye contact when you're teaching your child something new or talking to them about something that's difficult. You can save those eye contact goals for other times when your child is on the swing and you're pushing them back and forth and then you stop the swing. Then you, you will get, you'll be more likely to get comfortable eye contact that encourages communication uh, where the child can tell you, I want more swinging, that kind of thing. So let's talk about another uh, paired sensory system that parents struggle with quite a bit, and that is taste and smell. You know, if you have a picky eater, right? And I think a lot of parents out there do have picky eaters and Sometimes when it's really a challenging situation, like there are only maybe one or two or three foods that the child will eat, we talk about a real selective eater and problem feeding. Um, and, you know, that, that's a, a major challenge for parents. So we think about, oh, that's about the taste system. In fact, it's more about texture, temperature, and smell. Smell is very important, and that's sort of an ignored sense. Um, smell is another one of those primitive uh, danger detection systems. In general, we can smell smoke before we see it. We can smell if food is rotten before we eat it. So it's a very protective sensory system. A child who is hypersensitive to smell actually feels like they are in danger. And if you were going to be confronted with a food that is dangerous, like a, like a plate full of rotten eggs, and you knew they were rotten and you could smell it and that you knew they would make you sick, there was no way you were going to eat that. And it's very frustrating because a lot of parents feel like short-order cooks they end up catering to their children's what feels like to their whims, um, and it becomes a whole large problem in, in families. But keep in mind that there are underlying sensory underpinnings that need to be addressed to help the child move forward and expand their food choices.
so those are the five basic senses that we all know about. Guess what? There are more. There <laughs> is the vestibular sense which is super important. That is based on the inner ear, what's happening in the inner ear. It's the head's relationship to gravity, are, you know, which way is up, and um, how fast are you moving. It's the sensory system that really kicks in when you're on, let's say, an elevator, and you don't see the numbers changing, but you can feel that movement. There's something happening in your inner ear. There's a lot of vestibular input that happens when you're starting to go quickly down the runway in an airplane before you take off. There's a huge amount of vestibular input that's happening. So it's something that we, if you don't have sensory issues, you don't think about it very much. But for some children, teens, and, and adults, they need a lot of movement. Um, they're underreactive. The um, people with autism, of course, everyone's different, but a lot of people with autism are underreactive from a vestibular standpoint. So they need a lot of movement. So that rocking, bouncing, jumping, hopping, all of that stuff is an attempt, perhaps a maladaptive attempt. Um, and I don't mean to be judgmental because I'm really not, but it, that's what it feels like for us. It's an attempt to get the sensory input that their vestibular system needs so that they feel calm and in control. So some people are overreactive to vestibular input. They're easily disoriented physically. If they bend over to pick up a pencil that's fallen on the floor, um, they become sort of disoriented and woozy. Um, a lot of People with uh, autism have a lot of different kinds of vestibular difficulties, often very hard to balance and um, perform some, you know, running smoothly and um, dealing with a lot of vestibular kinds of challenges. Another sensory system that I never heard about, and I bet a lot of our listeners haven't heard about it, is proprioception. The proprioceptive sense is derived from receptors in your body's joints, muscles, and connective tissues. So though, that's the body sense. If you right now, as you're listening to this, as long as you're not driving, um, you're going to take your hands and meet them, bring them above your head, fingertip to fingertip. So... How did your fingertips know where the other fingertips were? Your body knows. We have an internal body map that we build as we mature as children. This is the body sense that lets you tie your shoelaces without looking, that lets you do keyboarding theoretically without looking at all the keys, right? Our bodies learn this. When you're learning how to roller skate, which I never got good at, but... Uh, other people are, um, in the beginning, you, you have to sort of pull it all together and, and look at what you're doing. And then as you become more proficient, your proprioceptive sense takes over and it just does it for you. Um, so the vestibular sense and the proprioceptive sense work together in the body like a GPS unit 
telling us where you are and what's happening at any given time from a physical standpoint. I just want to put in a little caveat too. We've got to take a short break here for, uh, uh, but uh, as as my background as a craniosacral therapist, uh, I will link in the show notes again at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory sensory. Uh, I my background as a craniosacral therapist. I actually made a YouTube video for uh, parents. There are a couple of holds that you can do on your child at home that are very helpful. The temporal bones around the ears are very often and easily destabilized, and when that happens they directly affect the vestibular area of the uh, of the brain so um, I will link to that uh, a craniosacral post and how to find a, a, a qualified practitioner as well so that parents have that uh, and I know that Lindsay will give us some more tools uh, when we come back you're listening to naturally recovering autism I'm your host Karen Thomas and we're coming to you live from bold brave media tune in radio and iHeart radio stay with us Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. And today we're talking about sensory processing disorders, and we have sensory processing expert, Lindsay Beal, with us. And before the break, we were talking about the, uh, we were on, I I believe, uh, seven of the eight senses of various, um, uh, you know, challenges that children can have and why they're having them. So, Lindsay, do you want to just go ahead and expand on what you were you were completing on the vestibular system, the proprioceptive, and then um, you were moving into a couple other things from there? Okay, sure. Um, what I was saying was that, um, so the vestibular system, which is our sense of movement, and the proprioceptive system, which is our body sense, our internal body map, work together. Um, giving coordinates like a GPS uh, unit. So the child knows where he is in space, where she, how she's moving, and what is going on in the physical environment. So when there's a problem with these sensory systems, kids will uh, uh, seek out input to learn more. So we talked about spinning and rocking. Um, Kids will bang things a lot. That tells them a lot of information. I'll see kids jumping off of beds um, onto the floor, onto their knees. It's very upsetting to parents to see that, but it's actually, um, it's very grounding, literally grounding for the person because it smashes those joints and muscles together and and couples it with movement. so the child gets the input that he or she is seeking. Now, there are ways to do this that, is, that are safer. Kids, and I'd like to talk about that next, some different activities that occupational therapists and parents can engage in to help a child um, to feel and function better. Yeah, um, absolutely. Be, yeah, because... It's one thing. Children will tend to naturally engage in what their body needs, but they don't know how to do it in a way that is safe, therapeutic, or um, to use the A word, appropriate. So um, they don't, you want the child to engage in what they need in a way that's okay at a time that's okay. So if a child needs a lot of vestibular input, doing something like jumping on a mini trampoline, jumping off a bed onto a crash mat that you've set up is a great thing. Spinning um, on a dizzy disc is a great thing. Spinning on swings, swinging on swings, 
you want to get that input in. I'll talk about some therapeutic ways that we do that. You want to teach the child how to do this in a way that makes their body feel better at a time that works for everybody. So the child's not going to be doing this when it's time to sit down at circle time at school or sit down for desk time or at home when it's time to sit down for dinner. That is not the time that you want your child spinning in circles. So what OTs recommend for families um, is what's called a sensory diet. And I don't really like that term because I don't like to diet. But when you think about what a diet is, it, it's, you know, it's what we feed ourselves with, how we, um, the kind of nutrition that we give ourselves. And you want to give your child that sensory input that their body, their nervous system so desperately needs, but at a good time. You know, so a sensory diet may include, and it's very personalized, um, it may include a lot of vestibular activity. So in terms of vestibular activity, it's not just spinning around aimlessly in circles. It may be doing what OT, uh, what's called an astronaut training program. That's something that works really beautifully with kids. And that consists, it's a very structured program. Kids love this. And they sit in different positions on a large spinning board. And they do rotations at a certain speed. Listening to this particular music, it's very spacey, wonderful music with a, you know, a very specific rhythm. And then they stop their rotations and then do visual uh, exercises. So what we're doing is we're integrating that sort of... Um, unformed, unlinked uh, vestibular input need. We're, we're linking the vestibular, the auditory, and the visual system so that the child is more together and more, um, more in control of their sensory seeking and their sensory needs. So that's something. Um, parents can have a child jump on a mini trampoline at home uh, with a safety bar uh, to hold on to. If... Um, you're not comfortable with having a mini trampoline or it's not appropriate for your child, you can just have the child jump on maybe a mattress on the floor or even just on the floor. Take some blue painter's tape and make a square for the child to jump in and have them jump. Maybe make several different squares and have them jump from square to square. Maybe you need to number them. Maybe you need to get some vinyl circles and have the child jump you know, you say like, you know, purple and the child jumps onto the purple circle. Uh, orange, they bump on, jump onto the orange circle, that kind of thing. What you're looking for is a way to structure the sensory seeking, which some people call self-stimulatory behavior, uh, which I see as a coping mechanism. Um, a self-regulating mechanism, you're going to take that and make it more functional, make it more of a, a, a communication with you, make wow. it a more functional type of play. 
This is really uh, helpful too. We need to take a short break, but this is really helpful, especially you know in the in the northern part of the world anyway, in the U.S. Here, uh, you know, we're moving into winter, and when you have to keep your child indoors, these are some great things that you can do indoors to help help them work with their sensory processing issues. We're uh, naturally recovering autism and coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. We have to take a quick break, but please stay with us. We will be right back with more sensory processing disorder strategies that you can utilize. Stay with us. Hi, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Today, we're talking with sensory processing disorder specialist, Lindsay Beal. And before the break, we were talking about some sensory, uh, I won't say diet, but sensory processing strategies, and many of them that parents could do at home. So I'm sure people were eating that up. Uh, Lindsay, if you could continue. And and just so everybody knows, there, Lindsay has some really great resources available on her website. And I'm going to link to everything that comes from this episode, including her website information at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory. So you can find everything there. So yeah, Lindsay, can you uh, give us some more um, ideas of what we can do with our children to help them with their sensory processing issues? Sure. Um, even having a therapy ball, and I'm talking about like the, the kind that you see in a gym, it has to be appropriately sized. So maybe 55 centimeters large um, for a smaller child, 65 centimeters. I would sit on uh, a 65 centimeter ball and I'm five foot four. So having your child sit on that ball and bounce for a couple of minutes can make a huge difference. If you have a child who's on the spectrum or who has um, uh, just sensory seeking kinds of behaviors, they can't, they just seem to have the jitters and they need to get their yayas out. Just having them sit on a ball and bounce, 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 bounce during, even if it's during dinner or during homework time, to bounce a little bit can give them enough vestibular and proprioceptive input so that they can stay tuned in um, and get those yayas out as they need them. For a child with low muscle tone um, who has trouble sitting on a chair nicely, and I'm sure everyone's like just straightened up their posture um, (laughs) because we all tend to slouch, right? Especially over time, sitting for an hour, we're we're all, we look like little cashew nuts on our chairs. Um, Our backs just kind of really curve over. Um, Sitting on an inflatable seat cushion like The one I really like is called the Move and Sit uh, Seat Cushion. It's a wedge-shaped inflatable cushion. Um, The Junior for the little bottoms and the the regular size for those of us with bigger bottoms. Um, The wedge shape with the wider edge towards the the back of the chair and the, the thin edge towards the front, really at the front, sort of moves the hips into a nice position um, so that the person can sit up or upright more easily. Um, it's very hard to slouch when you're sitting on a move and sit. And um, I actually wrote one of my books of having some back trouble and I got myself, I, I practiced what I preached and I got myself a move and sit and I wrote the book using that chair so that I would be sitting upright and that I could move when I needed to, to keep my postural muscles activated, um, even as I was sitting for long periods. So those are a couple of easy ones. You can 
look at gonoodle.com, G-O-N-O-O-D-L-E.com. And that is a website, and it's an app that has a lot of wonderful activities for kids. There are calming activities. There are arousing activities. So that's used a lot in in, um, some grade schools, and I think some of them are great for older people, too. So there, those are, that's an easy activity. You can go somewhere, stick it on your iPad when you're traveling somewhere. We're heading into the holidays. Put it on your iPad. Go to grandma's house. If your child needs to move, you can put on a go noodle activity and dance it out and, and move it out and get your child feeling better. Another good portable thing for parents is the Move Your Body uh, Fun Deck from Super Duper Inc., And those are really wonderful uh, illustrated movement activities. They're real simple, things like spinning in a circle um, or standing on one foot or shaking off like a wet dog. It's just really fun, and you can do that individually or in groups uh, with children. So those are two easy ones for uh, maybe younger kids. There are yoga cards. There's so many card decks out right now, it's making – Uh, parenting easier than ever because you don't have to be super creative with, you know, how am I going to entertain my child now while we're waiting for the doctor, you know, this kind of thing. So the yoga spinner game, which you can find in probably a lot of toy stores or um, certainly uh, online, um, different yoga cards, yoga pretzels, they're yoga DVDs, and um, they're just they're great movement activities for kids. Getting kids onto um, uh, treadmills is wonderful. Going swimming, going horseback riding, all of these things give really beneficial input. Now, I've talked a lot about the, that vestibular uh, proprioceptive uh, issue. Let's also talk about some of the other issues, um, the auditory sensitivity issues. Okay, you, you know, what, I'm sorry too because I want to hear all about it right now, but we have to take a short, short break. Uh, we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media, and this is Karen Thomas at Naturally Recovering Autism. And when we come back, Lindsay will finish where she left off because I know you're all, as I am, wanting to hear exactly what she was going to go into here with more strategies for you to be able to use to help your children with sensory processing disorders. Stay with us, we will be. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. And we have with us today sensory processing disorder specialist, Lindsay Beal. And before the break, we were talking about some um, some strategies and things that you can utilize at home. And uh, any of those, uh, I'll link to as many as I can that are available uh, directly on the page that I created for this episode, which is, again, naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory uh, but there is uh, the the seat cushion and the websites and the yoga spinner game cards various things like that um, Lindsay is, was telling me that we can get some of those on Amazon so uh, amazon.com but I will um, I'll give the names so that you can remember what those were and then um, you may need to link to some of those um, on your own so Lindsay we have a couple more things to talk about visual and I know listening is also a big one so um, so what do you have for uh, for the couple of other sensory issues 
Okay, so keeping it short, and I go into all of this in depth in the book, um, dozens, hundreds probably, of uh, strategies for all these different sensory issues. But a big one that occupational therapists use uh, for kids with auditory hypersensitivity is um, something called therapeutic listening. First, I want to make sure the child isn't having an actual hearing problem. Um, so I might send them to an audiologist if they've had a lot of ear infections. But um, assuming they haven't, I'm going to do what's called a therapeutic listening program for them. And, and what that is, there's several different ones. And the child listens to electronically engineered music over specific headphones, um, generally speaking, uh, twice a day for 30 minutes each time. And it kind of the way you would exercise the muscles in your arms to really simplify your exercising your ear so that you're less reactive to certain sounds and, and can start to selectively listen to certain sounds. So that's, that's strengthening the underlying skill. For parents, you may find that there are certain situations that are really just impossible for your child. Your child is absolutely miserable, has a meltdown, and so you start to avoid those situations. I recommend having some hearing protection. So something like the high-fidelity uh, Vibes earplugs for an older child. They'll be able to hear everything. You, you could wear them to go to a rock and roll concert and you would hear every note. It would just be at a lower volume. There are also noise-canceling can, noise headphones that can be used um, that can start to protect the child's hearing. Um, and this kind of earplugs sound-canceling devices should not be worn all day long. They should be saved for just certain uh, situations. Uh, you do not want to wear them for hours and hours. So that's the auditory. The visual for our super-sensitive people visually, um, first of all, you got to get rid of the fluorescent lights. They're awful. A warm LED light is preferable, not the cool blue so-called daylight. LED lights, because those are horrendous. Also, um, a warm LED, better yet, a full-spectrum incandescent um, is, is much easier for, for the sensory system to tolerate. If you can't do anything about the lighting, you want to add a light diffuser at home. A lot of parents are stuck with these fluorescent bulbs. There's nothing they can do. It, to change that, if, if you, you know, and also at school, the ideal thing would be to turn that off and use a different light, or if you're not allowed to turn it off, like in schools, some schools or hospitals, you can put up uh, what's called a cozy shade. It's a magnetic uh, light diffuser that comes in striped. They're striped, not a single color one, like there are ones that are all blue. And if you put that on a light, it's going to create blue lighting. And blue light is not a good thing um, in the general environment. Or, uh, by the way, on a computer screen, you want to get rid of that blue light by putting on nighttime mode when, if a child is on a computer screen. Having that or downloading something called F.Lux, L-U-X, um, which shifts the, the light from that 
blue into like a peachier light. And why don't we like blue light? We don't like blue light because it interferes with the production of melatonin, which interferes with sleep, which we know is so important. So another thing to consider is some people, especially those on the autism spectrum, do much better if they are using colored eyeglass lenses called Erlen lenses. Sometimes the person will be able to see and read better, and we're talking about visual distortions. We're talking about, like, just really having significant difficulty reading. They'll do better if there is um, an acetate overlay that is a color. You can just purchase these from the Erlen.com website, I-R-L-E-N.com website, and put that over the book. And lo and behold, the person may be able to read more clearly. It's, it's kind of amazing the difference that it can make. So we've talked about a lot of the sensory systems, and I could keep going, but I also want to mention the biology, the underlying biology of the person. Um, we all do better when we feel better. And a lot of our kids and teens and perhaps adult children who can't communicate that well with us have underlying biological, biomedical issues that they can't tell us about. They don't know that anybody's stomach feels different than theirs. Um, so it's really important to address the biological thing, the nutrition, the, if there are any toxins in the system, and, and work with someone knowledgeable to help to work get rid of those things, the child will feel and function better. And this is where, um, uh, for the listeners who have been with me for a while, I do have an online program that's now in almost 40 countries, and I walk parents step-by-step step through those those exact pieces naturally, how to uh, help the biology. It includes everything from healing the gut and, and everything that that entails, and, uh, and getting out the toxins naturally, including the heavy metals that really interfere with their brain, and then all the support and the comorbid symptoms of uh, like Lyme and mold that are often missed because my own son um, as you know was once diagnosed with autism and he used to tell me in therapies mom I want to but I can't and I finally realized he really couldn't and I pulled him out and I worked with him for years now today he is fully recovered and it was because he had so many toxins in his body and his brain that he could not think clearly and he hurt and so um, if you're interested I will link to the Autism Moms Mentor Program it's on the page there that I'll link to for this episode at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory, or you can just find it, the invitation there at naturallyrecoveringautism.com as well. Uh, this is Karen Thomas again from, uh, we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and stay with us. We have to take a short break and we Hi, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Today, we've been interviewing uh, a sensory specialist, sensory processing disorder specialist, Lindsay Beale. And, um, and in this last uh, part of the show, we thought it would be helpful if we gave some information about what, what an occupational therapist is and maybe how to find one, because they do vary also for ones that... Uh, are really, I want to say, savvy or really knowledgeable about children with autism because that can be a bit different um, than working with your general sensory processing disorders with uh, with children who don't do not have autism. Would you agree with that, Lindsay? 
I do agree. I do agree. Um, occupational therapy is a, is a broad healthcare profession that helps people of all ages to perform the tasks that they engage in every day um, more effectively. So for kids, that you know, involves playing and learning and getting dressed and grooming and so on. A lot of OTs will specialize in fine motor skill development or gross motor skill development, vision, visual development. So the school-based occupational therapist may be fantastic at helping a child with their handwriting or tying shoelaces, but for our kids with autism or um, attention challenges or other uh, diagnoses uh, that involve sensory processing issues, and of course sometimes there's no other diagnosis, it's just all these weird sensory issues, you want an OT that is uh, what I call sensory smart, that has a lot of knowledge about this, that can help you to connect the dots between behavior and function. So um, the way to find them, I have a link on my website to, to how to find an OT, and that's sensorysmarts.com. There are OTs who have gone out and gotten uh, additional training in protocols such as we've discussed, like astronaut training and therapeutic listening or, and the safe way to use weighted materials like weighted blankets and weighted vests. You don't just throw these interventions on children. First of all, it's very important that parents and kids understand why they're doing what they're doing um, and know how to work with it and how to do it. So there's a lot more in the book about all of these kinds of interventions. That yeah, I, hope I have it. Yeah, chapter nine, you've got a whole piece on sensory issues in the child with autism. And I know that speech, oops, speech and selective eating, the picky eating, there's a whole chapter 10 is all about that. And again, the name of the book is Raising a Sensory Smart Child, the definitive handbook for helping your child with sensory processing issues. And uh, Lindsay Beal, thank you so much for being with us here today. Her website, again, is sensorysmarts.com and sensoryprocessingchallenges.com. And every Everything that we talked to uh, in this episode, I will link to at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash sensory. And again, thank you, Lindsay, for sharing your time and your expertise with us here today. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for being here with us again this week. And um, we look forward to seeing you again next week. This is Naturally Recovering Autism, and I'm Karen Thomas. And we look forward to seeing you again next time.